Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. How do? I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily. Premier League news, views and updates every single day of the season. Tomorrow you'll have your usual full update on all the weekend's games. Make sure you're following this show so you get that first thing in the morning or when you go for your morning run or when you have your coffee or your fry up or whatever it is you do on a Saturday morning. We'll cover off all the Premier League fixtures that are coming up this weekend. Today on the podcast with me, Niall McCorn. How are you doing, Niall? I'm very good, Jim. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. So, Marley Anderson as well. Are you okay, Marley? Yeah, that's not too bad, yeah. No Steve McNaughton today, so you won't get your regular Friday dose of Steve telling us how great Liverpool are and how they're still champions, etc, etc. But the reason Steve is not here is a happy one. He is now a proud father for a second time. After third welcoming time. Third time, third is time. it? Wow. He's been busy. Boy, fish and testicles that Steve's got going on there. <laughs> <laughs> he welcomed little Blake to the world last night. So congrats to Steve and Sarah and good to see him paying a deserved homage to former Burnley striker Robbie Blake as well with his choice of name. <laughs> so fair play, Steve. Well done for that one. Uh, today on the podcast, we've got another defeat for Arsenal in the Europa League and their European qualification next season. Now looking a little bit narrower in terms of options after a 2-1 loss to Villarreal last night. But how important will that one away goal be for the Gunners in the second leg? We're going to talk Southampton versus Leicester City as the Foxes look to all but secure their Champions League qualification for next season with a potential win on the South Coast. There is fantasy football advice from the Game Week podcast in the shape of Matt Dyson. Very important, this fantasy football advice for me at the moment because I'm 10 points off the top of my mini league. So just a couple of differentials and I reckon I can snatch the title. But we're going to start again by talking about the big six. Thankfully, it's not the big six that look to rip apart the Premier League. It's the big six that Manchester United put past Roma last night in their Europa League semi-final first leg as they won 6-2. And looks like they've pretty much secured a place in the final now, all be the second leg going to plan. Now, for last night's game, I know you were at the stadium for last night's game, Niall. Manchester United looked a completely different team in the second half, having gone in 2-1 down. They came out and just ripped Roma apart in the second half. What was the difference? What changed? Well, do you know what it was, Jim? I didn't actually think Manchester United were too bad in the first half. They were a bit sloppy in possession. And there was a couple of moments which Aaron Wan-Bissaka got got sucked out of his position at right back uh, and didn't track back quick enough, which is unusual for him. And there was another one as well where Wan-Bissaka took a throw in and basically put Manchester United in danger as Roman looked to push up the pitch. I didn't actually think United were too bad in the first half. But in the second half, I think the difference was as they were a lot more comfortable in possession, a lot more confident on the ball. And they tried to push Roma back a little bit. And I think that was the reason that Manchester United were so successful in the second half. Because actually, really, the first goal that Manchester United scored was brilliant link-up play between Pogba, Cavani and then Fernandez with a lovely dink into the corner to make it 1-0. Um, but then the couple of goals were, were a bit bemusing. I think Pogba with the handball, 
I mean, people will say that's harsh. He's sliding in there. He's not really got control of his arms, but it's something you don't think about as a footballer, is it? Where where are my arms? But I think well, you have by to the now, le- don't you? Yeah, by the letter of the law these days, unfortunately for Pogba, that's a penalty. His arm was above his head, even though he was sliding. It's not what they call a natural position. So mm. penalty to Roma, well taken. And um, the, the second Roma goal was was poor really from Manchester United defensively I spoke before the game about Roma's tendency to try and play through balls and get in the space behind it's exactly what they did and then Mkhitaryan pulled it back for Dzeko who finished quite fortuitously in the end but that's what he's kind of made a career of being in the right place at the right time and then at half time it all felt a bit of a disaster for Manchester United it felt like well actually the first 10 minutes they played really well got themselves a great goal to get themselves in front and uh, and they kind of let it slide. And of course, the away goals was always lingering in the air because two goals away from home, you're thinking, right, that is a great result in the first half for Roma to score two goals away from home in the European knockout tie. They probably would have been buzzing with that. I think what kind of went under the radar as well is the amount of substitutions that Roma made in the first half. They made three subs in the first half, all to injury. So Veratu, who's their central midfield player, has scored more goals for them in Serie A than any other player from a, from a midfield position. He was off after four minutes with injury. Then the goalkeeper, Paul Lopez, made a good save from a Paul Pogba shot, sprung straight back up, and then all of a sudden started clutching his shoulder. So we weren't really sure what was going on in the stadium. And then, you know, watching the replays, it all looked quite innocuous, but he had to go off and the substitute goalkeeper came on. And I think in the second half, Jim, we saw a little bit of the favour swinging in Manchester United's direction with those substitutions. To lose Veratu, to lose the goalkeeper, Paul Lopez. I think they also lost a fullback as well before the half-time break. So three substitutions in 40 minutes and a couple of the goals in the second half, although Manchester United did play very, very well. You have to look at that substitute goalkeeper for Roma and suggest that maybe he should have done a little bit better. But JP was talking about this on yesterday's podcast, saying that in a European semi-final, you can go back however many years you want and look at any particular final, there are moments in luck of luck in every football match. And in order to get through to a final, you're going to need luck to go in your direction. And that's what happened for Manchester United last night. Bit of skill, bit of luck, but six goals at home. And surely that breaks the uh, the semi-final curse that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's had. I was going to ask whether we should give Solskjaer some credit for turning it around at half time because he doesn't always get the credit for being... A tactical genius. He still gets the PE teacher tag occasionally. And if you look at the way the game mapped out, it was a case of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer giving the, you'd assume, giving the team a rocket, setting up differently in the second half and ripping Roma apart. But it doesn't sound like that was the, the case, Niall. No, he stuck to his guns. And I think that is testament to him. And actually, if you've watched the post-match well, is, interview... Is it, is it credit to him? Or should, yeah, I mean, absolutely. If you, if you go in halfway, uh, 2-1 down, surely you'd expect some kind of changes at half-time. Well, half-time. Is, that just, is that just a product of the scoreline? Because I didn't think Manchester United were playing that bad in mm. the first half. Just a couple of individual errors, slightly sloppy in possession. If you look at that first goal, which came after eight minutes, why would you, why would you rip that apart? The way that Manchester United tore through mm. Roma in the first eight minutes, they absolutely dominated possession, 60% of the ball in the first half. And throughout the game, I think by the end of the game, it was 65%. So you're talking about really Manchester United dominating possession and they gave away two soft goals. And that is something you don't want to be doing, especially when away goals are a factor. But I don't blame Solskjaer for sticking to his guns. And I think that he deserves immense credit for that. And if you watch his post-match interview on BT Sport, the question was asked why he decided not to change it at half time. And the reporter said, because Paul Scholes and Owen Hargreaves in the studio felt you should have changed it. And Solskjaer bit back. Asking a question like that, why didn't you change it? They've just gone on one six two, So I think he's been proved right, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, some justification that, isn't You it? know, Owen Hargreaves, what's he ever done in management? Nothing. And Paul Scholes lasted about two weeks at Oldham before he quit. And then he did a caretaker stint at Salford City. You know, and that's not to say they weren't very, very good football players. They were. But, you know, people say PE teacher about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He's a PE teacher with far more managerial experience than the whole of the BT Sports studio combined. So I think that, you know, sometimes we need to give him a bit of credit because, mm. yes, he's only won the Norwegian League so far, but he's got Manchester United to five semi-finals. It looks like they're going to get to their first final. They should win the Europa League, really, with the quality of opposition that's left in the competition. And 
Learning on the job is not something you want someone to be doing at Manchester United, but is there any bigger club in world football to learn on the job than Manchester United? Don't think there is. So if you're talking about experience and sticking to your guns, Solskjaer is still learning every single day as a manager. And I think that he showed last night that he was right to kind of stick by what he saw in the first half. I don't think he was too dispirited with the scoreline at half time. He had confidence that United could get back into it. And that's exactly what they did. Edison Cavani in amongst the goals last night, Marley, is... Performances have been mixed for Manchester United, but how important was he last night? Uh, very important. I think um, his experience is is massive in, in big games like that. I think if you're going to rely on Mason Greenwood, for example, to lead your line, you're asking a lot of a, an 18-year-old to to produce his best on an, on like a semi-final stage and be the main threat, I think. With um with Cavani's know how and you know his his experience of being at top clubs and playing in these types of games for the last ten years, you're um you're always going to reap the benefits of of um his his um talent really. So I think um you know mm. his pass for Bruno's goal after five or ten minutes or whatever it was 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 exceptional. It was probably the pass of the match, but. Mm. I think the one thing that impressed me about Man United last night was the the quality of the final ball was was incredible. Um, their their passing and the sort of fluidity in the final third. They scored two or three really really good goals, um, along with the um, to get six against Roma is is not um, not an easy feat. And Man United seems to do it on the regular because every time uh, Roma come to Man- Manchester and uh, and Old Trafford in particular in Europe, they tend to leave having been absolutely hammered so it's another one for them they'll they'll have to you know try again next year if they get into the Europa League but well um yeah Cavani was was top and he was supported as well by by quite a lot of good performances mm. from Man U so they can be very happy that this little mini curse whatever you want to call it is uh looking looking like it's uh it's dead in the water well you mentioned a couple of the good performances United fans on social media seem to be very impressed with the partnership between Pogba and Fernandez that mm. seems to be starting to finally come together for Manchester United now. Yeah, definitely. I thought both players were exceptional last night and just touching upon Cavani before I talk about those two, Marley's right. He was unbelievable last night and he missed a couple of chances as well. He could easily have had a hat-trick, but that finish, first time touch into the top corner, absolutely unbelievable and what I did notice about Cavani and I think this is different when you kind of watch players in the flesh rather than on TV is how few touches he takes to make make his decisions and I think that you know you talk about football at the top level it is about decision making and that's why these players are elite players and that separates them from the from the good players is how quickly they can make the decisions and making the right decisions they need to replace they need to replace them don't they I mean that's, that's the issue is Cavani is looking like he's off in the summer he hasn't really enjoyed his time at Manchester United and it's gonna it's gonna be a difficult job to find someone because as, as Marley says Greenwood isn't in that position where he can step up and no play that role yet no Greenwood played out on the right and came on as a late substitute and uh, I think that that looks like the way forward for Manchester United between now and the end of the season I do think Greenwood can play through the middle I think he's a very very good number nine in general but he's just a little bit lightweight and still getting used to the physicality of the Premier League whereas off the wing he can kind of cause a, a little bit of trouble there I thought Rashford looked uncomfortable on the right last night looked so much better off the left I thought in, in previous games but Cavani he's just so wise takes a couple of touches knows he isn't the quickest knows where's to stand and it's just one of them things where if you watch a player in the flesh they just have an understanding of the game better than everyone else and Fernandez and Pogba are mm. two of those players as well the way Fernandez was varying up the balls into the box there was lofted balls there was balls along the ground he was linking up well with Pogba Pogba just looked so strong and dominant last night as well they're three top quality players and question marks have been thrown at Manchester United in terms of the quality of their squad I would argue that Cavani Fernandez, and Pogba are good enough to get in every Premier League squad I really would. I mean, I'm not saying a starting eleven, but in a 25-man squad, I think you'd be taking those three players in pretty much every club in the Premier League. And City fans and Liverpool fans might turn their nose up at me saying that, but this is from a purely neutral perspective. I can't see any Premier League side or fans of a Premier League side, really, if they let their allegiances lie, not picking those three players. And, and you know, it's a, it's a partnership which we've not seen enough of, Fernandez. And Pogba question marks over whether it will work. I think it does work. I just think you've got issues there with Fernandez seems to play every game, but Paul Pogba often has timeout injured or there's problems with him in terms of fitness, can't get in the squad. So he had coronavirus at one point, of course. 
So there are reasons and factors perhaps why those two haven't played together. But I thought they linked up really, really well. And um, it just leaves question marks for me over the likes of Fred and McTominay, who are both very, very good players and they're always committed and give everything. But in terms of the quality on the ball, I mean, Pogba and Fernandez, those two, I think, are streets ahead on the ball in terms of what they do with it than, than Fred and McTominay. I'm not saying Fred and McTominay haven't got their uses. If you're talking about two defensive midfielders, if you're trying to sit back and be a little bit more defensive, those two work really well. Mm. But going forward and at the top end of the pitch, I'd argue that most clubs in the Premier League or even in Europe really would take Fernandez and Pogba in their side. Before we move on to Arsenal's defeat to Villarreal, what did you make of Chris Smalling last night, Marley? I'd forgotten he was a Manchester United player. Yeah, he's been great, to be fair, for Roma. Um, I think last year he was he was top when he was on loan. Um, and, uh, you know, it obviously led to a, a permanent move and, you know, like a fresh start in his career, which is great for him. And, you know, we, he looked like he was getting on with it. But I don't know. Um, it just it was, wasn't, was one of them days for him, wasn't it? He, he wasn't quite... Uh, at it, I don't think Roma were defensively. I think obviously the the um, the three changes they made probably didn't help at all. Um, but he wasn't. He just didn't have the best game, and it's probably sick of the sight of Manchester now and Old Trafford, and probably thinking, "I'm glad I, I'm glad I left here because I mean he was getting stick from Man United fans online. Um, on you know, I've logged on to Twitter last night. Chris Mullins trending. Everyone's like, "Oh yeah, done well to get rid of him. He's a." He's a catastrophe at the back, and I was just thinking, why would you want to play for Man United when that's how the that's how the fans are? It was the same with Lingard, and now he's doing well. Everyone's like, oh well, let's bring Lingard back because he's he's doing well. But if he comes back and has two crap games, they'll be all over him. And it's just the fickle nature of football fans. So um, that's kind of what this whole boycott things around this weekend, I suppose, as well. You know, giving players stick and all that. But yeah, it's. Um, Smallins, you know, he'll move on from this. He's, he seems to have found uh, um, somewhere where he's happy in his career, and that's that's fine. I think you know, didn't quite produce it last night, but he's happy. He's playing. He's, you know, he's he's in a he's still in a top team as a regular. So I don't think he'll be lose too much sleep over you know not quite being able to do it against Man United in the Europa League mm. semi final. I'm not sure who wants to hear it, but let's move on to the Arsenal game because I don't think Arsenal fans want to hear about it and I'm not sure neutrals want to hear about it, but they were involved in the Europa League last night. It was Villarreal 2, it was Arsenal 1. So Arsenal still very much in it for the return leg, Niall, but Mm. do they deserve to still be in it, I suppose, is the question. Well, they found a way through, didn't they? And that was so important, Mm. getting that away goal. And if it finished 2-0, I think you're looking at a totally different tie. I mean, this is just typical Arsenal of this season. feels like they only play well properly well one in every six games and it's just like you can't be like that as Arsenal Football Club and try and be successful you just can't Mm. and listen Villarreal they really took the game to Arsenal at the start and I think two goals inside half an hour and you know that was just warning signs for Arsenal I think that they deserve a little bit of credit for keeping it at 2-0 for as long as they did particularly after a, a man got sent off as well so I just think that if they had conceded again and it had been 3-0, I think that would have been game over. As it transpired, obviously they managed to... And it could have been, because Burn Leno hadn't made a couple of saves and he made some brilliant saves last yeah. night. It could have easily been 3-0. But those are the moments that I was talking about before that, that you need going for you in your favour in a semi-final. And, you know, listen, 2-1 is a much more favourable scoreline for Arsenal um, because of that away goal. And it's as simple as that. They found a way to score away from home and now they can drag Villarreal back to the Emirates and hopefully mm. try and get a result out of it. I think you, I remember you saying it very, very early. Arsenal have got this soft underbelly. They've got this soft underbelly and they just feel so easy to break down. And if you think about the Arsenal teams of old, and I know that we're kind of talking mm. about an era gone by in Premier League football, but Arsenal's great success was built on a solid defence. It was built on a solid foundation. You can think of names off the top of your head. Campbell, Adams, Dixon, Bold, Keown, Patrick Vieira, Ashley Cole was there. I mean, look at the names of these players. And, you know, we've just had a discussion on the podcast this week about Premier League Hall, Halls of Fame. No doubt a lot of those Arsenal players around that period, the defensive ones, will be in that mix. But you just don't see that with Arsenal now. Xhaka playing at left back. When you've got Bukayo Saka, who played at left-back all of last season, and I know he's been effective going forward and in the more advanced positions, but if you've got someone who can do a job better than someone else, 
is it not worth the sacrifice to put Saka at left back? But you could say that decision was proven because it was Saka that won the penalty and he wouldn't have been in that position to win the penalty if he had been playing left back. Maybe, maybe you could say that. And I think, like you say, it's all swings and roundabouts. Yeah, Villarreal's first goal came down uh, came down at left back though as well. So swings and roundabouts. Isn't 100% it? Marley, yeah. And, and I just think it's one of them things where I think that this summer is going to be a real indicator of how serious Arsenal are. With all the protests around the ownership and the Cronkies and this whole thing with Daniel Ek from Spotify mm. bubbling up and possibly launching a takeover for the club, this summer we'll see how serious Arsenal truly are. If they're going to back Mikel Arteta, let him spend some money. They've got some good players at Arsenal. Let's not kid ourselves here. They've got some very, very good players. But it's just not working mm. at the moment. They've got too many weak links and this is a conversation that was had about Manchester United a few seasons ago and ship out the yeah, Deadwood yeah, yeah. and all the rest of it. I think we will see whether the Cronkies get their checkbook out or whoever's in charge of Arsenal in the summer. I think we will see the real statement mm. of intent or not from that football club as to how serious they are about getting back in the top four next season. I think that obviously this season has been a bit of a nightmare for them. They could still walk away with a trophy if they can end up turning over Villarreal and winning a final if they get there. But I think draw a line under this season, particularly domestically. And the summer, I'm so keen, I think probably more than any other Premier League club, keen to see how Arsenal approach it because that is going to be a real telltale sign of, of how they go forward as a football club. The takeover is gathering some credibility, by the way. Daniel X saying that he has secured finances to put by Arsenal. So he's certainly serious, but it remains to be seen whether the current owners are serious about potentially selling at the moment so no real news on that moving forward but it is seeming to gather a little bit of credibility towards whether it's going to happen or not talk to me about the red card for Arsenal the second booking for Danny Sabellos um will Mikel Arteta have too many complaints about that because I thought I mean it's one of those ones that you see the second challenge and he essentially steps on his steps on the opposition's foot but it's a natural follow-through and the opposition makes a bit of a meal of it. It's, it's one of those ones you can see why it's a yellow card, but it feels harsh for it to be a red as a result of a second yellow, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I I did feel like it was a bit harsh, the uh, the second one. I think the first one's fine. Um, um, when he just sort of, sort of ankle-tapped a guy who was about to sort of run through on goal, that's a clear yellow card. But I don't know, I think the second one, it's, it's another one of those ones we've seen quite a lot recently where when you slow it down it looks it looks bad um you can't really tell if you meant it um in real time it doesn't look much in slower time you start thinking oh he's had loads of time to think about where he's going to put his foot um and he's chose to trod on uh trod on the lad's ankle but yeah i'm i'm just watching it now i'm i don't think i don't think there's anything in it i, I think under the laws, the way they are, you're gonna get booked for that. But should you be? I'm not. I'm not really sure. I don't think it's. It's not on his ankle. He sort of treads on the end of his toe. Pereo with the guy who he mm. slides in as well. Like he proper lunges for the ball. So it's not like. Um, That's it. It's it's the it's the pl- person who gets fouled that appears to be out of control in that scenario. Yeah, it's. I mean, his leg is very much like. It's like a lunge, isn't it? So, you know, he's obviously going to reach a bit further than you think and Ceballos' nat- natural running style takes him into takes it into him. But, yeah, you can probably be a bit annoyed about it. But also, you know, you you are going to get a second yellow for things like that in, in this modern game. So it's um it's another thing for Arsenal to try and deal with in the second leg because they've already g- clearly had um, a few issues with the way they were setting up last night with Xhaka mm. at left back and, and Pepe up front and all the rest of it, so um, it's another thing to deal with now for them. I think Arsenal do deserve a bit of credit for the way they reacted after that red card was handed out because we've seen Arsenal crumble in those situations and the fact they kept on pushing and trying to get the away goal that does give them a chance in this second leg. 2-1 is certainly not an insurmountable scoreline to take back to the Emirates. If they don't get European qualification, it'll be their first season in 26 without it, which could be a disaster. For a club like Arsenal might even hasten that potential takeover but what chances do they have of progressing to the final from here Niall because we, we all know about Unai Emery's record in the Europa League it's one mm. of the reasons he got the Arsenal job was his success in Europe and now he's <laughs> the op- in the opposite d- dugout so you can't kind of you can't discount that experience and the fact that Villarreal do have this slender lead it doesn't look great for the Gunners does it? 
Uh, it doesn't, but I think in general, since they've been at the Emirates, they've actually been quite a good home team. I think if you look at their record in all competitions in the What's It Now 15 years that they've been at the Emirates Stadium, unbelievably, they've actually been on the whole a pretty good home side. And this is this is a strange thing, and I was talking about this about Roma yesterday as well. Roma are a big club, but they're not at the same time. And I think Arsenal fall into that category. Arsenal are a big club, massive in the context of English football, but in the way they play and the results they get, they're just not. They're just not a big club. And that's no disrespect to Arsenal because if you're talking about big six, which we've discussed a lot in the last fortnight, Arsenal are inevitably in the big six. You're talking about the six biggest, most influential, powerful, most followed, successful football clubs over history. Arsenal are in that conversation and there is no arguments there. But if you're talking about being a big club off the pitch, and not living up to your name on it. Arsenal, for me, unfortunately, are in that bracket. And that's something that they absolutely have to address. Now, if that means by getting to Europa League final, by scratching a result at the Emirates, getting through and somehow beating Manchester United or Roma in the final, and then winning the Europa League, that may just be the kick up the backside that Arsenal need to try and consider themselves a big club again. Because you can win the FA Cup 14 times. Arsenal are record holders winning the FA Cup that many times. But Arsenal fans want a little bit more. And Arsenal have never won a European trophy, at least not one of the big two European trophies. So if they can do that, after they got embarrassed by Chelsea in Baku a couple of seasons ago, 4-0 I think it was, then I think that might set them back on their way. But I think there are more deeper issues at Arsenal, which we could discuss in a whole different podcast. But certainly I feel like, similarly to Roma, they're kind of a a big club off the pitch, but on it, they're just not up to it. And that's a shame, really, because the Arsenal fans have put up with what they would consider mediocrity for far too long now. I think the thing about being having that status of big club off the pitch, but maybe not living up to the high expectations it does as a football club, it gives you that potential to reach that. It's easier to get back to that place again than it would be for a club who's trying to kind of eke its way up the table slowly and surely. We're going to move on now. That's enough on Arsenal and Manchester United. Although both those teams, we've had the first indication of what their punishment or what some of their punishment might be for their involvement in the Europa Super League. We'll talk about that in a minute. Plus, we're going to preview Southampton's game against Leicester City tonight in the Premier League. That is next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily is part of the Sport Social Network. Sport-social.co.uk Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Premier League football tonight in the shape of Southampton versus Leicester City. It's been a great season for Leicester City, Marley. Win tonight puts them on 65 points. That'll be at the point at the end of the game. 10 points above West Ham are in fifth at the moment. You'd think that 65 points would be enough for Champions League football next season, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, you, you you would expect so. Um, it's something that, you know, um, usually gets you there. And with the way things are now, I think, um, you know, they should be, that should be enough. Um, they won't want to take their, their foot off the pedal, so to speak, because, you know, they did that last season um, and ended up falling out of the, the top four. But I think it's slightly different this season. I think they've got a slight more, a little bit more of a, a cushion. So... Yeah, one more one more win should be enough, really. Um, and Southampton are in absolute freefall right now, and they're they're nowhere near what it um, the level you'd expect to to try and sort of stop Leicester. Um, and everyone's going to be talking about the the nine nil that happened when these two met last season. Yeah. Um, in this game, <laughs> and obviously, you know, they're obviously going to bring that up every two seconds. So you know, it's it's another one. I mean, going into it, I mean, you look where Southampton are now and how. I think they've only won two games since beating Liverpool. Um, two league games since beating Liverpool when Hasenhutl dropped to his knees and started crying. Um, <laughs> and you know who those two games were against, Marley? Yeah, Burnley and Sheffield United. <laughs> awful teams, yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, I mean, going into it, if you, were, if you were to say, you know, I think Southampton were probably in better form when they lost 9-0 last season than they are now. <laughs> Um, so I don't know. It could it could be heavy tonight if they're if they're not uh, not too careful. It's not going to be another nine nil, is it? Like, no, surely, not. surely. They've, they've got their customary the nine nil. Going to be don't season. let in nine. Yeah, yeah. But we said that when Manchester United were four nil up against them, and then it ended up being nine nil, 
everyone said, oh, it's not mm. going to be 9-0 again, and it was. And I think Marley's right. The form that Leicester are in and the form that Iheanacho's in and the fact that they've got an FA Cup final coming up on the horizon and the fact that they've got the top four still to play for, I just think that I can't see anything other than a Leicester mm. win, really. Southampton just have nothing. How much of that's down to Danny Ings not being there, Niall? Because his fitness has been a bit of a struggle this season. He's still their leading goal scorer, despite the fact he's missed so many games. Is that one of the reasons that Southampton just haven't hit those heights this season, that he hasn't been ever-present, he hasn't been as on it as he was the season previous? I suppose so. I mean, you look at how important he is for them and how much better they play when he's in form. I think that you can't look past that. I mean, if you're talking about goals in the Premier League this season, it, it, it was certainly a hot streak around the start of the season, wasn't it? I think between September and October, and maybe just before Christmas as well, he's finding the net on a regular basis. But there have been a few times where he's kind of been a bit patchy, where he's gone four or five games without a goal. And when you're a team like Southampton, you need your strikers to be bagging more regularly than that. Because aside from Danny Ings, where are their goals coming from? I mean, Theo Walcott's not exactly renowned as a goal scorer, is he? I mean... Free kicks. Yeah, well, James Ward-Prowse, I suppose. You're right, Jim. Set pieces and maybe headers from corners and stuff like that. Obviously, I'm not the most qualified person to talk about Southampton and how they score their goals. But certainly, you feel that in terms of goals from open play and stuff like that, who else is scoring goals for them? I mean, who's their, who's their backup striker? I guess it's Che Adams, who's improved in the last 18 months there is no doubt about that because he couldn't hit a barn door last season I think he scored his first Southampton goal in the last couple of weeks of the season in the last campaign you know that's not what you want when you spend 20 million on a striker from the championship and I just think still you know even though he's got a call out for Scotland now Shea Adams and he's he's playing a little bit more regularly and scoring a few more goals if Danny Ings was to leave in the summer can they rely on him to step up and take his place I don't think they can so I just think that there is a, a fundamental quality issue there with Southampton. And I think it's always been there. And I think that kind of comes back to the debate about Ralph Hasenhurtl and whether he's a good manager or a bad manager because he's overseen two 9-0 defeats. But also I think he's managed to get a tune out of some bang average players. I really do. And I think that that deserves credit in all fairness. Um I don't think much to, to Southampton in terms of their squad. They've got some half-decent centre-backs, I suppose you could say, and Ward-Prowse is a good player. We know how good Danny Ings is. But if you're talking about picking superstars out of that team, if you were picking two or three players that you would take at West Ham, Jim, you're probably picking Danny Ings and James Ward-Prowse and everyone else you can leave to one side. I think that that's a fair enough conversation that we can have. So, so maybe it's a recruitment problem. It feels like their academy production line is completely dried up. That well of talent is just evaporated something that they were so famed for for such a long time and obviously they've got Theo Walcott and you know Gareth Bale and Alan Shearer and so many top class names have come through their academy but where have they been in the last three or four years they've not been there at all really I mean the only one that's really there is James Ward-Prowse that's come through so you know uh, I do wonder whether that's been an issue for them something they've relied on heavily in the past it's kind of stopped being as productive as it once was but there are issues there for Southampton and I think they should be worried coming up against Leicester because Leicester are looking really hot and, and Southampton are looking not up to much let's not forget these two played each other fairly recently in the FA Cup semi-final where it was a far less dramatic scoreline it was 1-0 to Leicester City will that play into this game at all Marley will it be a case of Ralph Hausenhutl looking at how Southampton came close in that game and maybe being able to kick on a little bit more? Or will it be the confidence that Leicester City have from that result going into this that maybe gets them over the line? And I think we're all backing Leicester City probably in this game. But does that FA Cup result maybe change the complexion slightly? Um, not, not really. Um, at the end of the day, they still got beat. <laughs> um, so... I don't know. I think it it was a wasn't a great game that game. I don't think it was very sort of tetchy and and cagey, um, and it was settled by a you know like a late I think was it ninety two minutes he Nacho scored or something like that when everyone was kind of um, ready for it to to just sort of peter out. But um, yeah, I, I just can't see. I just don't think Southampton are in a place where you'd expect them to go and give Leicester a game tonight. Um, and it's weird, I think I was looking at the betting odds last night, I think it's like evens for Leicester to win, which I think is a ridiculous price. Um, which is, you know, so I think it could be some cash to, to, to cash to spend there. But it's it's one of them where I, you've got to... You look at Southampton, you say they haven't got Ings tonight because he's injured. 
um, and you think, right, okay, so how are they going to score a goal? And you, like, like Niall said, I don't think you, you back uh, Shea Adams to score every every week. You don't back him mm. to score against anyone. Um, He's been better of late, though. He has. He has. Yeah, he has got his goals together. He has, but also then he the last few games he's been left out. He's been on the bench a few times in the last few weeks, and I think they've tried a slightly different system. Um, Southampton with with like one centre forward and you know a couple of guys playing off them like Walcott and Minamino and all these sort of players trying to uh, change the shape of the midfield a little bit. But I don't think it's really worked. And you know we mentioned the form they're in before. I think maybe teams now have worked out how to. Um, stifle Hasenhutl's pressing system and trying to uh, come up with a solution to beat them and a lot of people are, a lot of clubs are finding how, out how to do that now and now it becomes about for Southampton to rebuild and reform some sort of um, a different a slightly different way that's going to get them more results because I mean they, they could they could go 17th by the end of this weekend they could be fourth bottom which is insane considering they had t-shirts printed for winning for being top of the league in november or whatever it was it's <laughs> mm. all been uh all gone tits up since then so yeah they've only had 11 different goal scorers this season southampton there's just not enough there i mean even minamino i've been disappointed with him considering he was signed for liverpool and he was you know going to be the backup to the famous front three that liverpool have got and yet he's gone on loan to mm. southampton and, and it's not really happened for him there either so you know, I just I just wonder whether there are problems there that, that need to be addressed or whether Southampton as a club can just be happy just to kind of sit there in the Premier League and, and be happy that they're not in a relegation battle, I guess. Well, it does feel like there's work to do at Southampton over the summer. I'm going to be watching Iniacho with interest tonight as well because he's one of those players that suddenly hits form that I always assume, like Jamie Vardy, when he went on that goal-scoring streak a couple of seasons ago. I always assume it's going to fall apart at any minute. Uh, so be looking at him with interest tonight. And we'll be talking about Ineacho more in a little bit with Matt Dyson of Game Week Podcast, giving you some fantasy football advice. Finally, though, to wrap up this section, there's been a little bit of fallout from the European Super League concerning the big six that were involved in the potential breakaway. So the executives from that big six have now been banned from the various... Premier League advisory roles that they hold within the league because apparently the other 14 clubs can't trust them. So each of the clubs who had execs who sat on those board who were advising on broadcasting rights and Premier League strategy and remuneration and all this kind of stuff that they were giving their feedback on before it went to a league vote... They've had those rights kind of taken away now, although they still do get to vote on the impacts here. Why has the Premier League felt the need to take this step, Marley? Is it a trust issue? I mean, for me, I look at it and go, I kind of understand it's the slap on the wrist that they needed, but these clubs kind of need to be brought back into the fold. And this move, taking them away from the decision-making process, is probably going to disenfranchise them further, if anything. I think that this thing like reminds me of like when you're a kid and you do something wrong and then your mum goes right you can't have them sweets now because <laughs> you've you know you've no more PlayStation yeah it's like you know you you forgot to feed the dog so you can't have your uh, you can't have your uh, ice cream after tea now so yeah it's just uh, in fairness you you can't you can't argue with the logic can you you know um, they've acted mm. in their own interests um, to the point where they were going to break away from the league. Like it's not a small thing. This is a, there's a huge thing that you know could affect the future of six clubs forever, basically. Um, and yeah, well, I mean, why why should they stay in the advisory roles to the Premier League? Why should you have to give advice uh, to a league or be in some sort of weird sort of consultation role where you ultimately don't want to be in that league because you wouldn't have you wouldn't have signed up for this um, field Super League before. Um, before getting... But there's an element of mediation that needs to take place now, though, isn't there? There's kind of an element of the Premier League and you you don't want to work too hard to make these clubs happy at the same time because, like you say, there, there needs to be some kind of punishment, there needs to be some kind of shot across the bowels. But at the same time, these clubs we're talking about, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Liverpool, whoever they are, they're the ones that kind of have the biggest impact on the Premier League going forward. So you want to keep them on board. You want to keep them as part of that to, A, dispel any potential second European Super League move and, B, to make the Premier League as strong as possible. And they they are surely going to need to feed into that. Well, yeah, but I don't know. Maybe 
can can they do it where it's just a, a different advisor? You know, get rid of the ones that are, that wanted to give this. Um, to, you know, to... I've got a picture of Ed Woodward turning up with a false nose. <laughs> <laughs> like a yeah. I'm Woodhead Ed. <laughs> yeah, it's like if you get one of them fake nose and glasses sets from the comic shop or something. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what you do. To be honest, I'd, I'd give Steve Bruce a ring and say, Steve, we've got to get the balance right. Can you help us out here? Because we need to punish them, but also not piss them off to the point where they actually do run away and create a new league. So. I don't know. I don't know what you do. You, they have to be involved in some capacity, I suppose. But, you know, I don't know. Could you maybe just enforce a change? You know, I mean, everybody involved in this whole decision should have resigned by now anyway. Um, mm. So I think five of the six executives involved have decided they're going to step away. So I think Woodward obviously is resigning. And then <laughs> who's the one who's it left as well? I think it might be him, you know. <laughs> Christ. Levy, Levy would be the last man on the Titanic, wouldn't he? Just no, I'm not going. This no, is, this no, you wouldn't. Sinking. He'd be getting in the lifeboats with the women and children, <laughs> stealing the space for the women and children, <laughs> rowing away. He'd, you know, he'd be selling the lifeboats to places, <laughs> yeah, he would. making sure he got the best price. I mean, how would you handle this, now? It feels to me a little bit like one of those, like when you've got when there's a relationship and one of the people in the relationship has cheated on the other, and then oh they try and going? they try and. They try and save that relationship, but it's never quite the same. It kind of feels yeah. a little bit like that. Why are you Premier asking League me about moment. that, Jim? Well, <laughs> um, have you not told your girlfriend yet? Sorry, <laughs> <you> know, to, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know, to be honest. And this is why you don't envy the Premier League in this situation. However, I have been disappointed with the narrative from a lot of media and journalists about points deductions and punishing the players and fans isn't fair. I'm sorry, what isn't fair is trying to leave the rest of the Premier League high and dry. What isn't fair is not consulting the fans before you make a, a massive decision which can completely change the face of the game and the sport we know and love. That's what's not fair. Not a few points deductions. Teams like Manchester United and Arsenal and Liverpool and City and Tottenham and Chelsea will bounce back from points deductions. I will always bring this back to my personal experience and I will keep doing this until the cows come home. My club Portsmouth were run into the ground by crooks, mercenaries, dodgy owners, how is that the fans' fault? How is that the players' fault? If a player rocks up to Portsmouth Football Club and the chief executive at Fratton Park says we'll give you 100 grand a week, you're not going to ask him, okay, mate, where are you getting that money from? It's not up to the fans to try and figure out what the players are on and work out the finances. The fans are fans of the football club. They're supporters of the football club. What happened when Pompey went into administration? We were docked nine points, the first side in Premier League history to go into administration. They took nine points off of us, made it impossible for us to stay up because of that, because we were a stain on the Premier League. We were embarrassing to the Premier League. How can a Premier League club go into administration? How can a Premier League club be mismanaged so terribly and their finances so bad that they end up going into administration. We left the Premier League embarrassed because of the way our club was run. But then again, you can always bring it back to the Premier League and their fit and proper owners test. Was it fit and proper? No, it wasn't. It was just show me the balance sheet, show me your bank accounts. Okay, you look like you've got a few quid, we'll let you in. And that's kind of how it feels. It's very lackadaisical, very lazy, really. And that is what happened to my club. So the fans and the players were punished for the mismanagement of the football club. How is this situation any different whatsoever? It's not the fans that asked for a European Super League. The players weren't even consulted by all accounts about a European Super League. So why do points deductions, when it was okay for Portsmouth, why do they not become okay all of a sudden for the big six? So I don't understand this argument. I, I, I think, the, I think, the, I think the, the answer is, and it's not, it's not a great answer, the answer is they're more, they're more important to the Premier League. From a, from a financial point of view, the, pre, the conversation for the Premier League is the value of their product. And if you remove those six clubs or... You're not removing the six clubs. Like, you give Portsmouth a minus nine points deduction when they're already in the relegation zone, they're not going to stay up. You basically may as well automatically have relegated us. But the Premier League couldn't do that. They wanted us out of the top flight as soon as possible because we were an embarrassment to the Premier League. They hated it, seeing a club that didn't have any money in their account trying to compete in the Premier League. They could not stand it, so they punished us for it. And this is my point, right? The Premier League, you're absolutely right. The product is much better with the big six in it. There is no doubt about it. The Premier League needs those clubs, and those clubs know that the Premier League need them. That's not a secret. You know, there's no cat in the bag here. That has been clear and obvious for everyone to see for a long, long time. However, 
punishing Portsmouth when they're already in the relegation zone and taking nine points off them is a punishment enough to basically get rid of the problem. All of a sudden, when we we were relegated, that was the Football League's problem, the Championship's problem. It's not the Premier League's issue anymore. The point here is, if you take points off the big six, they're not going to get relegated. You know, Arsenal have been bad this year, but they're not going down. And, you know, Tottenham, if you take nine points off them, they're still staying up in the Premier League. They'll still be there next season. All you're doing there is you're punishing the clubs accordingly. Well, you take 10 points off Man City and Manchester United and Man City still win the league at the moment. That's that's the craziness of the situation. That's how dominant they are. Well, there we go. Or they might just wait till the end of the season and say, right, we'll take three points off everyone. Six points mm. off everyone. Because really, actually, if you're doing it logistically, you're thinking about how many games are affected. Well, that Liverpool game, I think it was against Leeds United on that first night. And then Chelsea played... Sprite and I think and that was nil nil those two games for me the players were very very clearly impacted and affected by what was going on protests outside the stadium and I think that those two games you know you could say that's an equivalent of three points so you know one game was affected really in the context of a season if this was announced in the summer it wouldn't be an issue we wouldn't even be talking about points deductions it's because it was announced seven games before the end of a campaign so I think that you do need to basically be seen to, to, to do punishments and unfortunately for football club fans yeah, it's not fair. It isn't fair that your side may be denied a place in Europe and minus nine points for something that isn't the fans' fault. But nothing that the owners do is consulted with the fans. It just never is anymore in football. Mm. And so it was unfair for my club when we got relegated because of it. But we had to take it on the chin. No one was fighting our corner. No no journalists were fighting our corner. They were all saying, ah, oh, sad for the fans. Sorry to see Pompey go. But just the way it is, they've got dodgy owners. Well, now we've got six clubs, six of the biggest clubs, and all of a sudden the narrative has changed. And that doesn't sit very comfortably with me, probably because of past experiences. But I guess the point of the matter is this. They need to be punished. And it doesn't matter how mm. big and important they are. You can punish them without removing them from the equation entirely. Like You don't have to relegate or ban the big six from Premier League football. You can punish them and still have you know, that punishment there for all to see and them still be involved in the situation. So I think that there are there are ways around this, and obviously it's a, it's a delicate topic and an intricate topic to discuss. But yeah, I, I don't see why points deductions shouldn't be introduced. That's just my personal opinion because we're talking about integrity. That that's you know something that is thrown around a lot, and we haven't seen too much of in recent weeks. But I think that that would be a fair way to go about it. I've got a solution. You write down the name of the top six clubs, put them in a bag, pick one out, and that team has to be replaced by Portsmouth. Just swap them around. <laughs> imagine if it's Spurs. Can you imagine that'd be funny? <laughs> Suddenly, Spurs be where they belong in that case. Uh, right, we're going to talk fantasy football next with Matt Dyson from Game Week Podcast. If you've still got a wild card left, if you've been saving your triple captain, stick around because we've got some expert advice on how you can get the edge in your fantasy football league. Next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football Social Daily from the Sports Social Network. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Time to talk FPL now. And thankfully, we've got just the man to do it. Matt Dyson from the Game Week podcast is here as always. How's things, Matt? I'm good, thank you, Niall. How are you? I'm very, very well. I'm dreading looking at my fantasy team this week. Really? It's very patchy. It's very patchy. Has been for a while. Uh, Thankfully, you're here to answer all of our questions because I think there are a few people out there as well that are in a similar position to me. On the whole, how how weird has this season been in general? Because we talk about it a lot on the podcast in a general context. Yeah, I think it's been a very strange one. I mean, the whole no no home advantage thing it makes it just the season like no other and the, some of the results have been strangely unpredictable and some weird ones even just in the last lot of fixtures that um, mm. sudden Burnley 4-0 hammering of Wolves at Molyneux seems yeah. to just come out of the blue uh, and, and that and that, and Sheffield United beating Brighton it's just it's just I know it's always unpredictable in the Premier League but it feels like it's been a bit, a bit more unpredictable and just not quite as well obviously nowhere near as good as it normally is and like Dan, Dan, who I do my podcast with, is always mm. the perennial underachiever. I always lord it over him. <laughs> and somehow in this freak season, he's like 100 points ahead of me, 130 points ahead of me, romping to victory in most of his mini leagues while I'm having an awful time. And I'm putting it down to this weird freak COVID season, which I don't even count. He can have this <laughs> title. This title does not matter because this season isn't a real season. It's null and void. 
He's like uh, he's like West Ham, and you're like Arsenal this season, by the sounds of it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I mean, term. he's the only person that seems to be benefiting from COVID, <laughs> to be honest, in a weird way. But it's just him and all the mates of Tory MPs who get the PPE contracts. <laughs> They're the only people that benefit from COVID. I tell you what, just then you sounded like Kevin Keegan when he went on this. I will love it if we beat them. Twenty five well, years ago, yesterday, I think that round was, was it. Yes, yeah. it was. Yeah, that anniversary really came round. Well, I would love it if I caught him, but I, frankly. I think it's mathematically impossible at this stage. <laughs> Imagine so how good Kevin it. Keegan would have been in FPL back in the day. Oh, he would have been unbelievable. Oh, um, as a player, yeah, he would have yeah, been amazing. Oh, yeah, awesome, yeah. awesome to watch, I've, I've been told. Mm. Let's go on to our first question. This one comes from Tommy, and we're still talking about triple captains, even this late stage of the season, Matt. Yeah. He says, I've saved mine, thinking there's more double game weeks coming up, but I think I might have made a mistake. Do I take a chance no. on another double game week being announced or put my triple yeah. captain on someone playing against the sides in the relegation zone, which are currently Sheffield no. United, who are down, Ooh. West Bromwich yeah. Albion, and of course, Fulham. Although, weirdly, I would say, yes, always back the team that are playing Sheffield United, but since the pressure's off and they've been relegated, they seem to be back to mm. playing like they did the season before this. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, so that's now slightly another element of unpredictability for you to deal with. But, no, Tommy, you've done the right thing to save your chips. Hopefully, you've still got some of them left, including the triple captain, but the doubles are coming. I know it, uh, they're taking a long time to announce them at the moment for some reason. I don't know why, but they are definitely coming. I mean, if you look at the team, Teams that have still got a, a fixture in their lineup of fixtures that hasn't got a date next to it. Uh, so Everton, Villa, Palace, and Southampton are all definitely having a double game week at some mm. point. We just don't know when. And there's likely double game weeks for Man United, Leicester, Chelsea, and Arsenal as well. They're still to come, sort of around maybe game week 35, then maybe a blank in 36. We're not 100% sure yet because it's not been announced, but mm. they are coming. So keep your powder very much dry. Don't go blowing it. If you can have a player playing twice then the triple captain will be much more effective interesting you mentioned about Leicester possibly having a double game week because this tees us up nicely for bib underscore h82's question who says Kalechi Inacho's playing well do I jump on the hype I'm not sure whether that means just get him in the team or maybe even go a step further and perhaps triple captain might be worth it with oh, the form he's in hey. well I mean if like you say when the Leicester double comes up if they're if they're favourable games because their running is the next two games Southampton away Newcastle at home lovely Leicester flying absolutely flying yeah I've got Ian Acho and Vardy up front at the moment it's quite nice Ooh. having two strikers for the same team in your squad uh, and uh, Ian Acho continues to deliver he's got uh, nine goals in seven games uh, in the mm. in the in the Premier League at the moment it's it's not hype it's it's the real deal Ian Acho <laughs> you have to jump on the form players this is exactly what the game's all about so yeah if you haven't got him yet get him but I fear that he may be the most transferred in player this game week and then mm. that always guarantees a blank so I'm <laughs> slightly worried about too many people getting on him now uh, and and ruin it for him but yeah so I threed up on I tripled up on Leicester but I had uh, Pereira Ricardo who'd been back in the squad after his injury and uh, I, I brought him in, and the past two games, he's gone from playing a full 90 minutes to just nothing. He's on the bench, but he's not played anything. I was so frustrated with mm. uh, Pereira at Leicester. He's just cut. I brought him in, and he's not even come off the bench as a sub. It's just it's madness. I don't know he, what's going on with him. He was really good before that injury he picked up, wasn't he? A couple of seasons ago, he was looking yeah, he really, was really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was. But then, um, what was it? The other Leicester defender who'd sort of Justin. come in to replace him, Justin, uh, who'd sort of almost replaced him quite easily. Easily, uh, while Ricardo was still out, then Justin got injured, so Ricardo came back. I thought he was a shoe in as a guaranteed starter. Turns mm. out he wasn't. Yeah, more Leicester injury news, by the way. Harvey Barnes is definitely out of the Euros, oh, yeah. and he's not going to yeah. play for Leicester again oh, this yeah, season. That's so, sad, isn't it? Yeah, if he's yeah, yeah, if he's in amongst your substitutes, I'd certainly think about getting rid of him now. If you were thinking about possibly saving him till the last couple of weeks of the season, he yeah, is definitely I mean, done for the campaign. He's been out. Yeah, he's been out for a while now, so I think yeah. most people will have got rid. But it's a shame because he's had such a good season. He's been a yeah. real bargain at what six point five million or something. Yeah. Next season, he's going to be a lot more expensive. Anything to be read into the fact, Matt, that Leicester have got an FA Cup final on the horizon. So you talk mm. about team selections and, you know, strange players being left on the bench when maybe you think they might start. Brendan Rodgers well, yeah. is obviously targeting the top four as well as the FA Cup. But with that big final coming up um, as well, maybe we might see some rotation towards yeah. the end of the season if the top four yes, has already been sorted certainly. out. Yeah, that is a worry, isn't it, really, with the Leicester players. But um, I, I think he doesn't seem to be too bad on rotating the big names you know like 
Pep will mm. rotate anyone. Doesn't care how big a name he is. You know that's why I don't have any Man City players in my in my squad at all anymore. I've given up. I've had enough <laughs> of Pep Roulette. I'm not going to his casino anymore. The fun <laughs> has stopped, so I've stopped. I'm just not picking Man City players. I know they're really good, but they're not guaranteed <laughs> to start every week. So they're, they're they're dead to me at the moment. But yeah, I think I am worried about that happening with Leicester, but. Um, I don't think it will be to as bad an extent. Mm. And what the uh, the FA Cup final? When is it this season? It's it's, um, it's normally after the season's finished, isn't it? So I yeah, guess so the, be... the eye would be on those last couple of games of the Premier yeah. League season. Maybe Rogers might rest a couple of players. Yeah, yeah. So their running is fairly hard, actually. Well, Leicester they've got last three games of Man United, Chelsea away, and then Tottenham at home. So it's not an easy running, but no. certainly for the next two, I'm sticking with my three Leicester players. But you're right, that is that's potentially an issue towards the end of the season. Yeah, especially if the top four isn't sewn up, then you can almost go the complete other way and see those teams of which Manchester United are in the top four, Chelsea are hunting for top four, and you know Ooh. Tottenham might still not be out of it by that point. So yeah, it makes a really interesting uh, view in. I think that the end of the season for Leicester City I've got a question for you Matt it's getting to the end of the season now as we've just discussed do you think we should try and avoid players that might already be on the beach like for instance Crystal Palace they're not going to finish in the Europa League spots they're not going down and so therefore with five or six games to go there's nothing to play for is there two schools of thought on this because obviously there are players that might be on the beach and therefore down tools but also they might play with a bit more freedom as the old cliche goes yeah yeah they're playing with a smile on their face the shackles are off they're loving it yeah I mean yeah I think Palace this is a familiar territory for Palace to be finishing mid-table, and it's just about <laughs> surviving, just surviving for another year. Uh, and and yeah, I suppose Palace. Are, maybe that explains the Wolverhampton capitulation, to be honest, because they're not really got much to play for now, have they, in the no. Premier League this season? So perhaps they're already sort of planning their summer holidays. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I don't think I'd go out and splash on on um, on Palace players at the moment. So to speak, that sounds a bit weird. What I've just said, and splash <laughs> there. Go out and sign any Palace players at this stage. To be honest, um, although looking at their fixtures, they've got a few favourable ones coming up. They've got a little Sheffield United trip. Mm. They've got a potent, They've got like we say, they've got a fixture that's going to happen as a double at some point. So, but I've got a free hit left to play. So I maybe maybe. Uh, put someone like Eze or Zaha in, but I wouldn't mm. do any more than that. I mean, Ben Teke seems to be the usual service from him. Really, another season of fairly disappointing numbers. Although he's got he's got a few, but Ben Teke of old is is nowhere near what we see these days. Has his value steadily declined on FPL over the years? Because I haven't really been keeping an eye on Christian Ben Teke for obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think the season before last, no, the season before this one, he had an absolute stinker. I don't even think he scored one goal. So he has scored six. So he's slightly improving his record at Palace, but. I mean, when he was at Villa, he was a absolutely great. He was like a must-have striker on, mm. on FPL, and he did fairly well at Liverpool. I seem to recall when he started there. But um, yeah, sadly, he just seems to have no confidence in front of goal and. With a striker, that's quite a big issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's quite an important factor. A bit of confidence between the sticks when you get through on goal. Are there any obvious differentials sticking out to you this week, Matt? Obviously, as we get towards the end of the season, people will be looking to scoop up those extra points where they can in their work leagues and private leagues and all the rest of it. So are there any players that are catching the eye? Well, I mean, I must admit, I am sort of thinking about perhaps perhaps Burnley. Although, because Burnley, when they're in form... They do quite well, uh, I'd say. And I've been waiting for them to hit form for most of the season. And it, maybe it's finally happened with Burnley. Mm. And I just, I like those, they were they, they were the top scorers, the, the fairly cheap midfielders, uh, Westwood and McNeil. Both are sort of similar price. They weigh in with um, assists. They've got a couple of fairly winnable games left in their remaining fixtures. And, and Chris Wood, if he's now in form big time which he looks like he might be at 6.3 million is a bargain of a striker and it potentially doesn't matter who they're playing on this running because mm. um you know burnley in form we've been, we've waited all season for it so i i potentially am interested in another one i, I keep saying i'm thinking of getting is that pereira at west brom who's, yeah who's just in an awful team but seems to yeah. be just delivering pretty much most weeks i mean it's amazing well we, well, we could see him back in the premier league next season matt couldn't we with a different club 
Well, you'd have thought so, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. he's done so well in a, a really struggling team that you'd have thought some some offers will come in for him. So, yeah, I mean, maybe a Burnley midfielder or Chris Wood or even a, a, that West Brom player. I wouldn't go with any other West Brom players, really. But, yeah, they're the only real differentials I could see, apart from the obvious. I suppose we're at the point of the season now where the template teams are out there and most people have got the same sort of players in their teams. Uh, I'll probably be captaining Harry Kane, who appears to be fit. His ankle seems to be okay. <laughs> and they're playing Sheffield United at home. Uh, Jose's gone. I'm feeling maybe a hat-trick in that game for him. Uh, but who knows? Yeah, his ankle's all right. It's going to be okay. <laughs> it's just yeah, it you never know. Fun. You never yeah, know with Harry Kane. Uh, just on Chris Wood and Burnley, I thought this was a really interesting stat. Wood is one of only six players to score 10-plus goals in the Premier League for four seasons in a row, and yet still he wow. goes under the radar. So if you're looking for someone who is a differential mm. up front and probably doesn't bag every week, but he's almost guaranteed no. to get 10 goals in a season, so say the statistics. Yeah, and as a bargain striker, as a 6.3, sort of that range striker. I mean, he's had a very disappointing season up to this stage. He was like, he went for a long time with without scoring a goal. Um, but now he's... Now he's sort of found his confidence. I, I seriously think he's a, a really good prospect, and I might bring him in mm. myself. The, the games we've got coming up, they've got the likes of Fulham away, uh, Sheffield United away, and West Ham at home coming up next. And, you know, West Ham seems to have fallen apart. Are we saying they've officially fallen apart yet? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but there's always time when it's West Ham. There's always yeah. time. <laughs> Definitely. Matt, been great to chat to you as always, mate. Thanks for your FPL tips. The latest Game Week podcast out now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Great to speak to you. Catch you next week, mate. Thank you very much, Niall. Nice one, Matt. Nice one, Niall. That is it for Football Social Daily. Don't forget you can find the latest news on your team along with the match results and match reports from right across the weekend on the website sport-social.co.uk where you can listen to as well as read the latest updates from the Premier League. And we'll have another Football Social Daily podcast for you tomorrow morning looking ahead to all the matches this weekend in the top flight as well. See you next time. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.